You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode 14 of The Grind, a disc golf podcast. I'm Josiah, and with me, my good friend David, we're going to talk some disc golf. How's it going, guys? We've got a fun episode lined up for you today. We are going to get a pro tip from Alden Harris, who's a prodigy pro. Recently, just killed it at Jonesboro. We're going to talk about, hey, how do you decide when to run a putt, when to lay up? And we are going to review the Prodigy M4. But first, David, i got to ask, what are you sipping on and how is your disc golf week? Oh, we're sipping on some coffee we snagged from Ogden, Utah from the Wasatch Roasting Company. It's actually uh, from a farm. It sounded like the owner had visited the farm and done some work on the farm. It's Serenia Coffee from Do Chang Thailand. I'm probably, I'm sure you rocked it. I'm yeah. I'm sure I nailed all of that. <laughs> um, but you can find it on their website, and that should help it be identifiable. This one's actually an anaerobic washed coffee, which is one of the first times that I have had this type. Uh, first, uh, anaerobic means it's actually a fermentation process. Typically, what I've heard in the industry is I've only seen one, a few anaerobic. Uh, coffees before and they were all honey processed coffees which we've talked about before on the podcast um, honey process is when you pit the bean from the cherry leave the residue on it from the cherry um, and you toss them in fermentation t- tanks and actually let them ferment for a, uh, a week or two um, and so it kind of develops some of almost like winey taste to the coffee almost sure that makes sense but this one is actually washed. It's not a honey process. It's washed, so it's more of a traditional coffee that is then tossed into the fermentation tanks. So I'm assuming what that means, it would end up being a little bit less fermenting going on because there's less sugars that are going into the tank. Because as far as I, being able to identify, I was telling Josiah, I wouldn't be able to identify as anything wildly unique. Um, it tastes like a really fantastic cup of coffee. I'm really enjoying it. It definitely has... Uh, we talked about a clean cup. It definitely has a clean taste to it. It definitely has some complexity to it, but I'm honestly having a hard time picking out like, tasting notes. The tasting notes that it gives is powdered sugar, guava, and Riesling. Um, and these are notes that I'm not necessarily picking out myself. I get, if anything, that that would come close to me, the guava. I was telling Josiah, it reminds me of a coffee I've had before that had mango as a tasting note. So kind of in that area of, I guess, that brighter citrus not citrus, but uh, that brighter fruit, I guess, that yeah. uh, more pungent. Yeah, it's a great cup of coffee. Definitely a, a fun one. It's kind of a fun experience for me. Yeah, so we picked up some of their, this same bean, all of them having been this uh, anaerobic process, one washed, one natural, one honey. So we're going to get to try them all and let you know. It's kind of an exploration for us, which is super fun. I was telling my wife recently that, I really like coffee, but I don't normally get into single origins that much. I just try to make like a consistent cup of coffee at home and then occasionally get a uh, pour over from a single origin at Kiln where David works. But this is super fun. I think I get I get a little bit of the fermentation at the very end. To me, it almost has kind of that, you know when you get a mandarin orange or a, a, a cutie orange, whatever those are, that's sat a little too long. Yep. You get a little bit of that and I, I enjoy it here. And then I'd say the rest of it is like, it's very balanced. I feel like this is, it's, it's kind of wild cause it's Thailand, which I haven't had Thailand coffee. And then it's uh, this anaerobic kind of fermentation process, mm-hmm. but it's not something that would be like 
hard to drink every day. It is a very well balanced. You said clean. I totally agree. It's a very clean cup. It's it's fun for sure, but not like wild. Just like good with some kind of more subtleties. It's complex, but those complexities are in this kind of in the undertones rather than you know where we had that guji um, last week, where it's like strawberry just hits you in the face. This is much more like kind of playing the whatever. I'm not good at music metaphor, so just kind of in the in the background. Yeah, I would say it's definitely one of those coffees that's so much on the lighter end and so um, mellow in its flavor profile and complexity that the average coffee drinker that's looking for more of that like dark roast feel in their mouth would probably be very dissatisfied that I did they would just identify it as yep. being too light. Yep. I, I could see that. It's not weak, but I could see, I think this is so much closer to the experience of drinking like a really good cup of tea yeah. than it is to like a French roast. This is a clean mouthfeel. It's got, you know, some subtle flavor to it. It's, it's not weak at all, but it isn't like, like you said, it's, it, it is a totally different experience. Yeah. This is a fun one for me. It's an experience. I've never had an anaerobic fermented coffee like this. So I was super pumped to get these and try these. Yeah. I think that so much of flavor and life in general is about expectations. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that helps me enjoy coffee is to leave some of my expectations at the door of what it should be. Yep. And I think especially when you get into light roast craft coffee, there is a certain degree in which it's so enjoyable, I think, you know, if you came into it neutral, but if you come into it expecting this this bold, kind of heavy, bitter with chocolate as your like only option with with a really, I don't know, filmy, <laughs> filmy finish on your mouth, this is gonna be totally different. This you forget you almost lose the flavor after a, after a while on your palate because it is so clean. Yeah. It doesn't it leaves you kind of like Oh, I could have just brushed my teeth and not like, oh man, I really hope nobody bumps into me because they're going to smell this on my breath. Yeah. And these anaerobic processed coffees are really, um, the demand is coming for them just because, I mean, we talked before about what the craft beer industry is impacting with the craft coffee industry. People are looking for experience and about what, 10 years ago is really when the naturals and the honey process started really picking up steam and they're so prominent today in the craft coffee scene anaerobic is still in the newer range it's probably in the four to five years that it's been picking up steam but you're seeing it more and more and more um, we actually haven't had one here in the shop we've only we've served one from another coffee coffee roaster in the shop but we've never roasted one ourselves and so these are some that we're looking into which is i'm excited yeah, yeah for sure that's uh, that's but, cool i'd love to have you guys have one of those on tap or on the bar so i could check it out how's your disc golf week the disc golf week was it was it was good um, I mean, I ended up getting the stomach bug for half the week, so I was <laughs> down for the count. But I forgot I about that. I healed up just in time for our trip to Ogden on Friday. Uh, we were in Ogden from Friday to Sunday. We got a couple rounds in at the fort. We talked about on the second cup, <laughs> uh, if you guys wanted to hear a little bit more about it. But man, Ogden was absolutely fantastic. Uh, took I lost five discs on my first round. <laughs> you <laughs> so, lost, you lost what, four of those in the first three holes? Yeah, four in the first three holes. So got a lot of humility walking out of playing Ogden, which uh, I think we all need sometimes. We start building up in our heads that we're really picking this steam up. I'm getting this whole disc golf thing. Sorry, I'm just looking at your shirt. Ogden has the fort, which we just mentioned, which is site of last year's world and the shot. David is wearing the Conrad's uh, Jomez, the shot shirt. So Shout out to Mr. Conrad. Yeah, James. Answer your DMs, man. I need a pro tip. (laughs) 
But man, fantastic time at Ogden. Uh, even with the rough rounds and learning experiences, so much fun playing with buddies along with it's so gorgeous out there. If you get a chance to get out there, get out there. It is insanely gorgeous. You will score high if you're an amateur. Do not expect to get anywhere close to going negative. <laughs> but uh it if, was if you a do blast. if you do then let us pro. let us know. You can stop by junction and teach us your skills. <laughs> and go pro. Yeah. Uh but uh yeah it ended up being a really fun week. That was definitely the perfect cap to the end of the week, that was kind of a, r- a rough early w- early start for me. Hey, better to start poorly and end well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How about you, man? Dude, it was awesome. Uh, I've played Ogden. I've been up there twice before and played. And so it felt like the first time it actually felt like familiar to me because the first two times you play, I feel like you're just trying to figure out where you are. And it was the first time I'd played the, all the golds layouts. So that's what they played at Worlds. And I think I'd played a mix between the golds and the blues. And the blues are usually like 50 to 75 feet closer and makes a big difference in the woods and i feel like i I think i shot eight over on the golds which i was pretty stoked about but i was one down after eight which was kind of wild i i played i mean i played really i I played really well from the golds and i was like okay i'm not gonna be a pro i'm like 18 strokes worse than conrad and paul were that last round of worlds but i felt pretty good about my game because of that and then i played the next day and regressed a little bit back to the norm when we played from the blues and i was like eh, okay <laughs> still some stuff to work on but it's so fun it's definitely very different than our local courses it challenges you in different ways it challenges you to throw very very accurate committed shots without pulling the disc from trying too hard and without softing it because you were trying to throw it really requires accuracy but both in uh you know having the right wing angle uh nose angle disc and trajectory speed everything and i don't know i loved it i i could play ogden once a week and never get bored because you're always gonna have a different shot your second shot on all these par fours for sure yeah for sure i i feel like the the rating you asked that guy what plus eight would have been and i think the rating for plus eight would have been 970 and yeah uh, yeah, that's I what worlds was was like gives you a good reference for how diff how difficult the course is yeah but so I, th- I think that would mean that like around plus five would have been thousand rated yeah which is pretty mind-blowing yeah but and, but and and honestly i think i used to get frustrated with a course that was that hard because i'd feel like hey i want to at least get par yeah. and now i'm in a place where on hole nine where i went from <laughs> under to over i s- scored an eight but it was honestly like an eight where i was like I played that smart. It just I just had some bad throws and it only took two bad throws to go from like a chance at a par to an yep. eight. And it's like, okay. Yep. Hey, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's it's definitely worth the trip out there. Ogden itself is beautiful. They got a cool little downtown. We got coffee at Wasatch, but there's a ton of coffee shops, a few breweries there as well. It just seems like a pretty a pretty cool town and the it's just sitting Mountains like three sixties, white capped, uh, so gorgeous, beautiful, yeah. so gorgeous. Yeah, it, if you just going down for the scenery is absolutely worth it. Yeah, and I'm excited about more trips to check out other courses that are going to test our skills in different ways. But the fort's always going to be up there for me, and I'm going to try to make it an annual trip. Well, you want to get into a pro tip? Let's do it. So Alden Harris was kind enough to send us a pro tip. I asked him, Alden, what's one thing you wish you knew when you were first building your game? And he said. 
The first thing that came to mind is that nerves are a good thing. When I first started playing in tournament, I was extremely nervous and it would cause me to make some dumb mistakes and shots. I always was trying to figure out ways to get rid of the nerves. A few years later, I had the chance to ask Macbeth, Macbeth if he felt nerves. He said something along the lines of, I feel nervous before every round. The day I stop feeling nerves is the day I stop caring. After years of trying to get rid of my nerves, I finally understood what the nerves were. The nerves would come when I wanted to succeed and when I cared a lot about what I was doing. So since then, I've embraced the nerves and I get the nerves I get before every round. I still get them the same way I got them when I first started, but I've just started loving it rather than hating it because I know what the nerves mean now. I can honestly say the nerves I get before a big round or in front of a big crowd is one of my favorite feelings in the world. So long story short, nerves are a good thing. You don't want to get rid of them. You just want to learn how to handle them. What do you think, David? I love it, man. It's actually reminded me of when you asked me about if I think about, I think it was last podcast or a couple ago that throwing through trees of just that initial thought in your head about hitting a tree and just like, yeah, I absolutely have those thoughts and just kind of pushing them out. But just the importance, this is like going back to like not only in disc golf, but in life. Um, I, I personally deal with a lot of anxiety. Um, and there was a time in my life that I was going to teach English in Indonesia and, uh, I allowed the anxiety to build up in me to the point to where I felt like I was, I had a panic attack and I was going to just lose my mind. <laughs> One of the things that helped me get out of that season of life, just allowing anxiety to define me essentially, was recognizing that as humans, we all deal with this on some level or another. And in the same way, in in a sport, going into anything that we're doing, if we care about it, like Paul McBeth said, um, we're going to feel these nerves. That's just a very normal human thing. And Yes, it's possible to let those nerves get in our head to the point to where uh, we feel like we can't compete. I've felt that in a tournament to where I have the nerves and feel like, okay, these guys are definitely above my skill level, and if I'm comp- and if I am playing at their skill level, I kind of get this ang- anxiousness of like, okay, when am I going to fall apart? When am I going to fall apart? But recognizing that those nerves don't define you. Um, yes, they're there and they exist and they're very normal, and it's okay to let them be there. But the moment that you begin, that we begin to let them define us and tell us who we are as opposed to being who we are, that's when we let those nerves or anxiety, whatever it might be, that's when we let, we just give in and we let it be who we are as opposed to, I mean, we're essentially no longer are believing in ourselves, And so I, I love this, bringing it back to psychological because because at the end of the day, like sports, like bringing it back to the psychological, like basics is huge. Yeah, I I totally feel that and love that. Everybody struggles with this. Everybody's going to feel this. I think that that's something that, you know, I don't normally, I think early on, especially first tournaments, I kind of felt like I was alone in that because I feel so different than normal. And so I feel strange compared to my normal self, and then therefore I must be strange, I must be isolated in this way. But the idea that like, hey, first of all, hey, this is normal. Everybody's experiencing this, or they should be. This should be important enough to you that you experience some nerves. If you don't care, then why are you paying money and taking a full day to play a tournament? And so I I like that, and I think along with that, this idea of channeling the nerves 
I think is something I'm just starting to learn. I think that nerves are one of the reasons that I have had, I think, I think I probably am a 950 rated disc golfer on the average casual round, maybe better. And then in the tournament round, uh, historically I've been about a 900 rated disc golfer and that's five strokes, most courses. And so where are those five strokes? Well, I think a lot of them are nerves. A lot of them are being like phys- feeling physically limited because of my body's uh, nervousness or whatever. And so I think that lately I've been able to just say, uh, last tournament we played, my first putt, I felt like I physically couldn't get it to the basket. It was like a 25 footer and I just felt like so strange. And then my next, and I peered my next drive, like one of my longest tournament drives and uh, made my next putt. And I think it was this idea of like, okay, I had to accept I had to accept that this is, I'm psychologically experiencing something and my body is responding to that. But that doesn't mean my body has to respond that way or that I have to have my mind see it as a negative. And so I really like, the rest of the round didn't play that great, but I do think I slowly kind of was able to turn it around to say, okay, by by like hole 16, I was playing decently, but it took a while. But it was like, okay, I'm working through this thing and I am accepting that I'm nervous and I'm accepting that I feel this way and I'm choosing the way in which I express it. Yeah. Uh, This is something that I think has historically made me kind of angry at like our culture because I feel like our culture really hammers into, and I'm talking about our culture as American culture, hammers into our head that you're weak. If you're nervous, if you deal with anxiety, whatever it might be, um, you're just weak minded. And there's all these other people that don't deal with these things. And that's the reason why they're pushing forward. That's the reason why they're these elite athletes, these successful businessmen, whatever it might be. That's a joke. (laughs) I think that, yes, there might be some people that deal with anxiety in lesser forms and deal with this nervousness in lesser forms. But I think learning how to channel those anxiety and nervousness, like Josiah is talking about, that really it's those people that end up being the most successful is recognizing that this is an aspect of my life and this is something that I can use. This is something that I can use to motivate me and push me forward. And at that point, it kind of becomes a fun game because you know it exists and you just have fun with it. Yeah, I think that you coming into the tournament had a much more refined and developed way of dealing with these things. I think that's part of it. Part of it is because I was so emotional as a kid and as a teenager and so affected by everything that I think that my solution for that was to basically shut off my emotions whenever I would feel them. The problem is when you can't shut it off, then you don't really know how to deal with it. And so the nervousness, when you can't shut it off, you're like, I don't have, I haven't developed any other tools besides the off switch, which isn't really an off switch. It's more like kind of burying it or whatever. And I think that for me, I think the wonderful thing about disc golf is it teaches you about life is like we talked, I think it was last week about accepting, you know, like, hey, I need to accept these things. And that's kind of what I'm working through is like, I feel something. I'm a male, adult male, but I still have feelings, whether it's in disc golf or life, all of its life, I guess. But, and I'm feeling this way, but I'm going to accept it. And I'm going to, how I feel doesn't mean I have to uh, think a different way or, you know, like, hey, I'm nervous. Well, I'm probably going to miss this putt. I'm probably going to throw it OB. I'm probably going to hit that tree. No, I'm nervous because I care. And so I'm going to use that to try to focus in more, to try to get more locked in. And I think that it's, it, is, it is hard, but it is something that I think everybody has to go through and work through, whether in life or in disc golf. I know that 
Macbeth actually had the similar message, the same message told to him by Steve Rico when he was early playing. So Macbeth, when he asked Steve Rico, who's a longtime disc golfer and awesome player, how do you deal with nerves? How do I get rid of the nerves? Steve Rico told him the same thing, like, hey, nerves are part of it. Nerves are because you care. And if you care, you don't want to you don't want to stop caring. So you you need to use the nerves. You need to be excited about the nerves. And I think that whether it's, hey, I'm playing with a buddy and, or I'm playing with somebody new and I'm, I, you know, I'm playing through a card, you know, they're letting me play through and now I've got, now I've got an audience for my shot and I'm not a very great player yet and I just, I just know I'm going to shank it or I just know I'm going to miss the short putt. No, like, hey, you feel nervous? Great. That's an opportunity to play with nerves. Like, what a, what a tremendous opportunity. You're like, hey, I'm one away from my personal record on the course and I've got to make a 15 footer. I usually make my 15 footers, but I'm going to miss it now. No, don't, don't have that. Say like, Hey, this is great. I'm going to make it because this is going to, these nerves are letting me focus. Yeah, for sure. The, the other thing I'd say just generally with this is I think that pros, you know, Macbeth, Alden and others being willing and open to talk about how, how they feel and how they're experiencing these things is so cool to me because I think that a lot of times like you were saying before, there's a certain like perspective that is, even if I'm feeling this inside, I'm definitely never going to share that with anybody because I don't want to give people an edge over me by seeing a weakness. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually is a strength to be able to say, yeah, I can share this with you and maybe it benefits you and I'm still going to beat you. <laughs> you know, like yeah. well, I think in general as humans, we thrive in community. And I think like, our, our culture oftentimes or our like inner being pushes us like towards this feeling of isolation. We like to try to push and isolate ourselves or our culture likes to make us feel like we don't belong, whatever it might be, this feeling of isolation, recognizing that anything that I feel like thoughts or anything that is really pushing me towards that feeling of isolation, I always immediately, I mean, I used to believe them so easily. Now I, I recognize the fact that okay, this is pushing me in this direction. I, this, like, although there might be some truth here, um, that's not where I want to be. I want to be here in community because I know that I thrive and I know that I find the most joy in community. And so I, anything that is pushing me in that direction, I say, this is not, (laughs) this is not something I'm going to believe. I'm going to walk in this direction. So. Yeah, that's good. So much of, so much of sports is that you get an analogy for life in a safe and defined setting, you know, where you play 18 holes and you, you know, you, you lost five discs and you didn't play that well and you learned something, but it was only 18 holes and five discs. It wasn't like, oh, I, I wrecked relationships or I wrecked my life, wrecked my job. It's like, oh, I got to, I got to practice life for an hour or two. And then I, all I had left was, hey, I got to make an order for five more discs and I've got to make sure that I uh, keep my attitude good about it. I think that's why sports are so important for kids growing up and, and then also, I mean, growing into adulthood, having them as hobbies with friends, like whatever it might be like that, that's getting us outside, we're exercising. And like, it, this is like, disc golf is something that really, I would say impacts my relationship with my wife and my relationship with my friends, just the things that I'm learning about myself and how I respond. So I, I love sports for that. I love disc golf for that. Yeah. So thank you, Alden Harris. Thank you, Paul Macbeth. Thank you, Steve Rico, for being open and honest and helping us in life and in disc golf. David, I wanted to ask you about this and kind of dialogue about it because I it's come up in my head a few times recently of 
when do you run putts? When do you lay up? I'd say both in terms of distances and weather conditions, et cetera, um, obstacles out of bounds, as well as tournament versus practice versus casual round. I This came to my head recently. Hole three at our local course, Watson, is in its long position. There's a sidewalk right behind it, probably, what, eight feet behind the basket, 10? Yeah, yeah. And it's about 340, so it's one of those shots that I often end up 20 to 30 short because one, I'm not a bomber, but two, I'm trying to control that distance so I don't go be long and end up with a bogey. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll play short, but then I end up with a death putt where if, and it's an elevated basket. So if you miss it, almost always you're going to go OB. There's a chance you won't, but if you don't catch all the chains and don't have a skip out, uh, you're probably going to go OB. And so it's just kind of brought to my head, like I want to have a game plan for when to run putts, when to when to lay up, and kind of decide how I want to do that in a practice round versus a tournament versus hey I'm going for my best score, etc. That's a tough one because I think firstly you have to look at putting style because I mean if we're looking at putting style, you have a very hard spin putt. Um, I have more of a um, I have I have kind of in between like a spin and a floater. You've got a pretty direct push putt, I'd yep. say. Yeah, and then I think putt. when yeah. you go for your step putt, it's a little bit closer to yep. a spin putt. So I have kind of the luxury of being able to take off a little bit and kind of try to float my push putt, spin putt in. I guess I take a little bit of spin off it and just try to float it. And it's it still feels natural to my putting game. And so I feel like I'm still running, but I'm not fully committing, I guess. Um, I'm giving myself a chance without with having a less margin of error. While if with your style of putting, although your I would say your putting style ends up being more consistently hitting the basket than my putting style with how much spin and directness that you're going at the basket, um, you do get punished for mistakes a lot more than yep. I do with my putting. Yep. And so I think starting there, I think for me in that situation, I would still have some sort of run at the basket, but I'm definitely putting it more out on a hyzer and letting it give it a chance to kind of float into the basket because then I know that it's going to more than likely crash somewhere by the basket. There's still the possibility of rolling OB. But yeah, in your situation, I would have a really hard time using a complete committed spin putt in that situation. I think very much so I'd consider laying up. Yeah, I think that maybe partially unique to the putting style, I have to be very careful about when I run a putt. But I think more than anything, I have to, once I've decided what I'm going to do, I have to commit to it. Whether that is, hey, I'm going to try to pull a David Lofty push putt, um, hyzer it in, or no, I'm going to run a full speed spin putt because that is the most likely to go in. And honestly, it's the most likely not to go OB if I'm running it because that's what I'm comfortable with and that's normally what I'm I'm doing. I think that part of it for me too is and I think maybe getting at this is when when you're in a, a practice round, I have this thing where I'm trying to decide whether I should be working on skills that are going to require aggressiveness. For example, I'm going to run this putt because I want to work on my 50-footers and want to be going at OB, whatever that is. Or, I mean, I want to feel work on dealing with the nerves of if I miss this, it's going to be a problem because there will come up those putts where you've got to make a run or um, – or if I want to practice or play in the tournament like I practice, which is, no, I'm going to lay that one up. I'm going to feel good about laying it up. I'm going to have made the smart choice, and I'm going to move on. And I think that there is this push and pull because I want to develop those skills, 
but I also don't want to have never practiced playing conservatively. And in the tournament, what I found is that I, when I would run everything, which I still run a lot of stuff, but when I run everything in the tournament, I would feel nervous because I was like, well, I've never practiced laying up. And so I don't really know exactly how this is going to work. It's an easier shot. But if I accidentally push it too far and go B on the layup, I'm going to be so much more annoyed than if I ran it. And so just in terms of prioritizing your time and practice, what do you, what's your, what do you normally do? That's kind of tough because I think if I was practicing for a tournament and in that tournament mindset, I probably would consider laying up in a practice round for a tournament. I think if it was every day playing with buddies, unless I had the risk of losing my putter uh, into the creek or something, um, I'm going to run it just because I want to learn the skills. I want to learn how to commit to the basket because one of the things I've talked about before, one of my weaknesses is not committing to the basket and hitting the bottom of the basket. I know when I'm ever, whenever my putting is off, it's usually because I'm not committing to the basket um, and finishing short. The thing is, when your putt is really strong, you are low and in the basket. Yeah. And so when you're not, it's like, it's only like six inches of difference, Mm -hmm. but it goes, you go, I go from expecting you to make every 25 footer and in to like, all right, David, just get it over the rim. (laughs) Get it over the rim within 15 feet. But yeah, I think if it, I'm just playing casual rounds with friends, I w- I'm practicing that skill. I really want to focus on committing to the basket and knowing, building that confidence, knowing that I can make the putt because ultimately that's where you want to be. I think we should be practicing where we want to be. Um, I think I, I, I can't speak for all the pros, but as far as from like anything, any coaching style or whatnot that I've taught to, I mean, you should always be practicing what, where, where you see yourself. Yeah, that's good. Also knowing that when it is coming to a tournament, just like when we're getting ready for a tournament, we're not, you're not uh, doing a bunch of workouts, playing a ton of rounds all at once. You're just kind of playing a practice round here and there preparing for the tournament. Um, you're slowing yourself down. And that's when I think is becomes an appropriate time for me, at least personally, to consider laying up, to have that mental uh, mindset of, okay, laying up here and taking the par, taking the bogey, whatever it might be would be the wiser thing, especially if you're playing, like we played pa- Palisade a while back in the wind, especially when you're playing in the wind and knowing that it's going to be really difficult for the people around you to be making these 20, 30 foot putts. And you don't want to be the one that ends up 40 feet past the basket <laughs> being tossed by the wind. You want to be the one that laid up under the basket. Yeah. I think that boring disc golf in tournament makes a lot of sense. I mean, as you go up the divisions, it gets harder and harder to be successful without having some level of aggressiveness at least you know in the in the courses we play probably if you played uh, the fort still advanced would playing conservatively would definitely still be ideal Um, when you get up to the the pro at worlds you had to score 10 down to to win worlds so you had to be aggressive i think that when i think about this too i think about mentally when do i choose to run a putt part of it is confidence based and that means if i feel indecisive about running a putt or not in a tournament i want to start not running it because what i don't want to do is be halfway in and say like oh i guess i'm going to run this unless i can get my brain fully engaged and committed my non-committed shot is actually my putt is actually my worst miss uh, for me, an uncommitted, non-committed shot is off to the right, and 
very, very far past the basket. It sounds like you, my committed, David's uncommitted shot is right down, hitting the, hitting the nubs or the rim and then falling down. Uh, so you don't have a three putt opportunity. I'm going to three putt a lot of the times if I've got an uncommitted putt. So part of it for me is I'm going to either choose to run the putt and then I'm going to fully commit to it. Or if I feel like I can't or I don't want to or I don't think it's a good choice, I want to commit to the layup. I'm going to try to get the layup to hit the pole or whatever that is or be in this, the right spot and use the same amount of focus on the layup as I do on my putt so I don't screw up that layup and get kick myself because I laid up and now I three putted or something or went OB. And then the second part to that is I think that there's a certain degree in which understanding your own competencies and having a confidence level just one notch above that. You don't want to have be like 10 notches above that and say, like on a, on a 30-footer, I assume I'm going to make them all in the tournament, or at least I try to tell myself that. I don't tell myself that on a 60-footer. I, I tell myself I'm going to make that one if I'm going to run it. But I, I think there's a certain degree in which being overconfident is a problem in terms of your body and your brain know when you're lying to yourself a lot. So sometimes you have to make that lie very small. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think in general you talk about, I mean, having those percentages in your head. I mean, I talked about before with putting as far as knowing that you, you know as a human you're going to miss at some point, especially as an amateur. You're going to miss a putt, and that's just the reality of putting. Maybe you're going to miss a You're going to miss. I'm never going to miss But a if you've been practicing a lot, like within 20 feet, I know that I'm going to hit more than 50%, for sure going to hit more than 50%, which means I can set up, step up to that putt knowing there's a very good chance that I'm going to make this putt. And so st- having a starting point there. That gives you the confidence. I'm not saying that if I miss that, because if I say that I'm going to make this 100% of the time, then I miss the putt and I lose my mind. (laughs) (laughs) But So it gives me the freedom of the margin of error to be able to say, oh, I missed that and I can move on. Yep. Um, But yeah, I think having an awareness and the confidence is huge, but also knowing that there's a margin of error. We are human. Yeah, I like that. I like the perspective of like, Oh, I missed that. Well, let me make the next 10 because that almost never happens. Like this idea of like, and, or like I made it cool. I'm on a roll. I'm going to make the rest, the rest of them. Do those things totally line up if you tried to square them all out? No, they don't. Because you, if you play the averages, you'd say, Hey, I have no idea, but I'm probably going to make it. I think it's even better to, like I said, one notch up, like hedge on the side of, Hey, I missed one. I'm going to miss, I'm not going to miss anymore. Or I made one. Cool. I'm, I'm going to make the next ones because now I'm warmed up. And this is all just like being encouraging to yourself, taking taking it to say or taking a step back and saying, I'm going to think and speak positively about myself and about the people on my card. And I think when it comes to running a putt, that's where I want to be is if I don't feel confident and I can't get there, then I'm going to lay up and feel good about that. Hey, I laid up, guy on my card made a 60 footer. I laid up my 50 footer because I think that's what, what was the smart play for me. And I feel good about that. And the next 50 footer, maybe I run it and make it. I don't know. Yeah, I like that. And so for me personally, I'd say I try to, once again, I try to have one, I try to be confident one more notch about where I actually think my percentages are because I'd rather err on that side than the other side. And then I'd say I occasionally will adjust my putt for a run when I am far enough out that the mistake is going to be costly. But I'm more likely just to lay up. And I agree, on a, on a practice round, um, just a casual round, I want to be working on the skills of where I want to be. And this is true of anywhere in disc golf than where I am. Uh, particularly now that 
especially now that the personal records are kind of removed from us because the course is in a harder layout or whatever that is. I don't know. And then I think just have fun. In the end, if, if it's more fun for you to run it, run the putt. Yeah. If it's more fun for you to lay up and not have to deal with the fact that you missed it, now you've got a comeback and all that, lay up and have fun with it. Like there's nothing, in the end, there's not one way to do it. And the person who runs the putt, feel good that you have the confidence to run it. And the person who lays it up, feel good that you are smart to lay it up and move on. Yep, I like that. I think, I mean, I think back to our friends tournament when it was crazy windy at Snooks and I laid everything up because I was so terrified to make a putt. Um, I felt really good about my round, but I, I lost everyone. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but honestly, better to feel good about it and lose than to know, second guess yourself. The previous year before that, it was crazy windy as well, and I tried to run every putt, and I was so frustrated after the round because I couldn't, I think I probably four putted every hole. So I think, uh, I mean, depending on skill level, obviously, and then also just figuring out what makes you, whether it's for a practice round, whatever it might be, whatever makes you feel, I mean, like, I, lo- I love what you said, whatever, make it what you want. Yeah. Well, I love what I said too. <laughs> you want to get into a disc review? Let's do it. Our, what was that disc review this week is the Prodigy M4, which is a five speed Five glide, negative one turn, and one fade mid-range from Prodigy. So, David, what did you think of the M4? Um, Interesting. I didn't go into it knowing what the flight numbers were, except for you telling me that it was comparable to a buzz, maybe slightly slightly less stable. I, um, I didn't want to pollute your thinking, and this is probably my bad. I kept asking questions, and you wouldn't give me a whole lot. <laughs> the numbers say buzz. Yeah, And I kind of wanted, because that's what most people are when they pick it up are going to throw it. And I kind of wanted you to experience it based on that Yep, and see what you thought. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so I kind of went into it thinking the thing that I've thrown the most that could, I could compare it to was a buzz. For me, it was kind of in between. It almost felt like in between a buzz and my Luna. It didn't, it felt more... It did not feel like the buzz for me. Um, it kind of felt like it. It didn't. Uh, this I think the five glide on here, um, and the buzz has a four glide. Um, for me, it felt like the buzz has a little bit more glide. And I was actually throwing my buzz with these as well. Were you getting a good bit more distance with the buzz? Yes, getting more distance with the buzz, and I felt like the M4 just kind of dropped out. Yep, they start to turn early, and then they just kind of felt like they dropped out on me. And so it felt like what would happen if I'm throwing my Luna on a slight Anheuser is what it kind of felt like to me. And it has a similar hand feel to the Luna. I could see that, yeah. So I think I, so it was an interesting disc for me. Like if somebody handed it to me, I didn't know it was a mid range, didn't know it was a putter, I probably would have put it in that like four, four, like four, four, three. And I, Definitely would think that it's a little bit more understable. I probably would have put like a negative two or something. Is it definitely for me? It was pushing right more out of the hand. Yeah, it was interesting. I I wouldn't say that I walked away super excited about it, but I walked away definitely really thinking about what the disc was for me. I guess. Yeah. So I would say I've thrown the M4 a bit. I bagged it for a bit. I may be bagging it now. May put it back in the bag. We'll talk about that later. But. I think that the the dropping out is something that I have experienced depending on the throw. 
you kind of you throw it and you think, hey, that's going to go far because I just I got it on the right line. It had a lot of turn, which you normally expect to get a lot of distance from. And then maybe it's straightened out and then kind of just falls out of the sky. It's nice in some ways because it doesn't really fade. It just kind of drops. Yeah. I can I can occasionally get what a late turn on it. We're off of a little bit of a hyzer and you get this little late wiggle. And when that happens, I think I do get comparable distance to the buzz. When that doesn't happen, I do see a bit of a drop in distance. And I don't know what that is because it seems to be have a lot of glide at first. And then it kind of falls out. It has like a very... It's one of the reasons I liked the M4 was it was unique in its low speed characteristics. What I didn't like about it is I wasn't consistent with it. Sometimes I would throw it in that 300 range where like I throw a buzz, maybe a little bit more. And then other times I would throw it like 260 and be left with a 40 foot putt and be like, I I could throw a putter this far or further. It's an interesting disc. I think it is something that I haven't, I I bagged them for a while and I think that I would I never felt like I quite had it dialed in to where I just, I, I'd occasionally throw this like magnificent shot with it. And then the next shot, I'd be like, oh, I didn't quite do it. And I, th- I texted you, I said, I think it is a bit of a finesse disc. Mm-hmm. Not crazy understable, but definitely understable compared to a buzz. One weird thing, and I didn't mention this to you because it's super nerdy, but the M4 traditionally has a lot of flashing on the bottom, this really sharp leftover plastic from the molding process. And what's interesting about the M4 is with the flashing on, it's very much a buzz in terms of stability. Interesting. I've removed it from the ones you got to try because I don't like the hand feel. And you you threw a 300, which is their base plastic. Feels really nice. Some stiffness to it. Some grippiness to it. The 400G, which is kind of their flexier premium plastic. And then the 750, which are a little bit hard to find, which is a little stiffer and probably their, their most premium plastic, more stable. And I think the the when you totally remove the flashing so not just scraping on the carpet like a lot of people will do but actually get in there and fully remove it even if you don't affect the the bulk of the disc in terms of you don't actually mess up the disc you just remove the flashing they get a lot less stable and i think that was one thing that was kind of strange to me is i'd it'd go from a buzz to like two or three clicks less stable than a buzz with that removing and i couldn't I, it started making me wonder is the disc supposed to have the flashing? Because this is so different than the numbers now. And I don't really I don't really know. I I think that it is a good disc, but it, it, that one little aspect made it a little strange to me. And I know that Prodigy has been having a ton of improvements to their manufacturing process. And so they're making M4s now and other discs with a lot less flashing, it sounds like. And so I'm interested maybe to try one of those in the future and say, okay, this is the intended disc and this is the intended flight, but... I was going to kind of get back to it. You only threw it, you threw it backhand. Yep. What kind of, were you hyzer flipping it or what were you doing? I tried a couple hyzer flips with it just because I was having a hard, at first I'm just trying to throw it flat and I was having a hard time turning it. I kept turning it over and I was actually throwing it back and forth with my wife and she was the first one that threw it at me and uh, turned all of them over and she finally started throwing them dead straight at me. But yeah, when I was finding the most success, I was it was the ones that I put a little bit on a little baby hyzer, and I was able just to get it to go dead straight. Um, and and I, that's where I think the M4 shines to me, is that baby hyzer where it just pushes straight, 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 and then falls. Mm-hmm. And you expect a little bit more distance sometimes from a five-speed than you would might get with this, but it's a very useful shot to have that dead straight shot that really doesn't turn or fade it just flips up and then glides for a bit and then and then just sits down yeah and i was really only getting in that 250 range she was kind of 
she was on average hitting around the 200 to 210 mark with the m4 so and she she throws what like 250 to 280 on a really good throw or she's she's starting to hit yeah that 270 mark on with her she just picked up a is it a Cravo that she served? Cravo, yeah. combine the two. <laughs> combine the two. Uh, MVP, the Axiom. <laughs> We've got an idea. A fusion. <laughs> the yeah. Cravo. Uh, so, yeah, she's she's starting to get up there. She's been having fun with getting some distance. Yeah. Uh, Megan, your wife, went from throwing mostly over stable plastic to throwing a little flippier plastic. And I think it's been a transition. But the fact that she committed to it, I feel like her game has been improving because oh, of yeah, it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I like the M4 a lot. I think that I've... Th- only thrown the M4 and the M3. The uh, the Prodigy has like a pretty big mid lineup of those. I've thrown the M4 and the M3. I think the M4 has some nice flip up to it. It can occasionally get a really unique late turn um, from a really flat shot. It has a nice little drifting flight. If you throw it from a baby hyzer, from a decent hyzer, you'll get a pretty sh- straight shot. This is with 350 feet of power or whatever. And I, was throw- I usually throw them in the 280 to 300 range. But I would say that occasionally it will drop out of that 250 to 260 range which is kind of annoying when you throw a mid and i think that's it's one of the things it's a different disc and i see kayla visca and the other prodigy throws throwing them pretty far obviously they've got a lot more power than we do and a lot more spin and technique but it is it's unique i think it is an interesting disc for sure david i think we can go ahead and get into the rating a rating system david and i will Score it one to five. Summer scores to ten. One is just not that great of a disc. Two is it's an okay disc, but there's better options out there. Three is it's a good disc, but it doesn't stand out. Four is it's a great disc, but it's not going in my bag. And five is it's going in my bag. So David, what's your review? I think by our standards, I think I'm gonna have to go with a two, and I feel bad going all the way down to a two. But yeah, it's a fine disc. But I think for me, I just think about so many other discs that I would far more prefer bagging and throwing um that i just i probably would never get it give it a second thought and i feel really bad saying that no this is (laughs) this is a hardcore (laughs) review podcast but yeah we don't pull punches that's kind of where i'm at and that might come from my uh just committed roots of my discs that i like to stick with but uh yeah just kind of how i feel about it how about you well you you don't really have anything in your bag that's comparable and it's not a shot that you normally would throw because you're typically going to throw a forehand when you need that turn Mm -hmm. or if you need a really straight shot you're going to throw the buzz of the luna and you're just going to adjust your angles to get a similar flight yep yeah yeah no i feel that for sure i i get that review and that rating based on your experience with it i'm going to give it a three and a half and the reason i i can't give it a three alone because i think it does stand out in that little bit of late wiggle that little bit of late turn and i do think you get a nice straight flight from it I just think that for me, I like I like throwing other discs better, and I I kind of want more understability or more distance from my understable mid. I don't know. I just it never really quite clicked for me. I really tried. I bought a lot of M4s. I really tried to make it work in my bag, and I would get great shots with it occasionally, and then I wouldn't get great shots. And that's part of being an AM and any disc. But I think the M4 to me maybe highlighted that. And maybe if I had a little bit more. Uh, better form or more finesse i would love it like uh kayla visca does and some of the other prodigy pros but for me it's not going in the bag i've got a base plastic buzz that does really similar things in the bag and i like the premium plastic buzz for my basic mid so that's a five and a half out of ten david you really sunk that rating so shame on you sorry guys sorry prodigy but we uh 
but we got to be honest about how we feel. And I have been kind of lining up this that I really like for you to to review, and this is one that didn't quite work out for me. And so maybe it's just maybe it's just an okay disc, or maybe we're only okay disc offers. But that's our review. And David, before we end the podcast, I wanted to ask, just for fun, if you had to build the perfect disc offer, this can be MPO, FBO. We're going to go different aspects, but we'll start with putting, circle one putting. Who would you choose? So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of combine different skills. So circle one putting, circle two putting, backhand driving, forehand driving, upshots, et cetera, mental game. But circle one putting, who are you going to pick? Oh, man. Circle one putting, I'll go Paige. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I feel like Paige is a very good putter, and she's also your favorite FPO player, so she's going to come up 98% of the time we have any of these things. Uh, I will circle one. I think I will take Macbeth. There's there's better circle one putters out there, but I think in the clutch, I trust Macbeth to make the easy putt. I don't I don't feel like often he misses a circle one putt when it counts. Well, that's the episode this week. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and your podcast players so you get a notification when we have any podcast drop. We're going to give away some M4s. We didn't, they didn't work out for us, but there's a lot of players that love them and dominate with them. And maybe you're one of those, or maybe you want to try it and see if it works for you. So check out our Instagram page at thegrind.dg. We'll be giving three of these away in three different plastics. And as always, whether it's coffee or disc golf, don't forget to enjoy the grind.